please be seated. They called him an imposter. They called him a fraud, a deceiver, a liar, a charlatan. So we read here at the end of chapter 27 of Matthew in our gospel reading. The Pharisees and the chief priests are coming to Pilate and they call Jesus an imposter. And they're coming on the day after the crucifixion. Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried in the tomb. And they want to make sure that he stays buried. And this scandal that has rocked the whole nation, that this man claimed to be the son of God, claimed to be the Messiah, overturned the power structures that existed, insulted the leaders, and threatened their positions of power and status. They had defeated him. He was dead. It was finished. He was in the ground. This was a moral and political victory for the Pharisees and the priests of Israel. And there were just a few loose ends they needed to tie up. So they come to Pilate on the Sabbath. Matthew says to us, they come on the Sabbath. They're breaking their own Sabbath because this is so important to them. They come to Pilate and said, remember how this man, he said in his teachings that he was going to die and after three days rise again. He actually said that three times in each of the Gospels. They remembered that. And they wanted to make sure that his disciples didn't try to pull a fast one on him. Stealing Jesus' body and saying, look, he's been raised to life. Continuing and perpetuating the fraud that was the life of Jesus. So they wanted to make sure that this victory was complete, it was final, it was done. Tying off these loose ends, then they could rest. So they go to Pilate, and they want to make sure that no one tries to make it look like Jesus has risen from the dead. The idea that he actually would do what he said he was going to do, the idea, the possibility that he would actually rise from the dead was not an option for them. It was not something that was a possibility in their minds. But they want to stop the fraud. They want to stop the scandal and make sure that it is done and that their victory is complete. They refused to believe that Jesus could be who he said he was and that he could do what he said he would do. They refuse that as an option. And even throughout all of the history of Christianity, even up to today, people refuse to believe that Jesus raised from, was raised from the dead. They refuse to acknowledge the possibility that someone could be resurrected. There are some that still will call him an imposter, a fraud. He wasn't who he said he was. He had all this crazy talk about rising from the dead, and his disciples actually did steal his body and made an empty tomb to continue the fraud so that they could have some power. That's the narrative. Some refuse to believe in a resurrection while still clinging to Jesus as, as a good teacher 
as a moral leader, as a prophet, as someone who was in some sense divine, but couldn't have been raised from the dead. It was a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a physical resurrection. It was something spiritual that this divine man was, uh, was so impacted the lives of his disciples that he appeared to them in visions and in dreams and taught them how they could be spiritually raised to new life. It was a spiritual resurrection, not a physical one, so the narrative goes. But for either of these camps, whether they outright reject Jesus or they try to spiritualize what he's done, it's rooted in a worldview that says Jesus couldn't have been raised from the dead because people don't rise from the dead. The resurrection is impossible because people don't do that. That doesn't happen in our world. This worldview is based on this closed universe, just a materialistic universe in which God cannot reach into our world and do the supernatural and change and alter the course of nature and how things usually work. It's a closed universe. And everything that they believe, this argument that resurrection didn't happen because resurrection can't happen, that's what it's built on. And I don't know about you, but for me, I've seen too much to buy into that worldview. I've experienced too much of God to believe that he doesn't work in our world, that he isn't active in our world, that he doesn't work miracles among us even now. And throughout this whole series, we've been talking about the God of the impossible doing the impossible. And so why is it surprising to us that the impossible is done and accomplished through Jesus, that he has been raised from the dead? But it it brings up for us uh, two options. Either Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and he is an imposter, he is a fraud, Or he did rise from the dead. And he's the Lord. There's not much room for middle ground, actually. Either he was raised from the dead or he wasn't. Some people will try to spiritualize it and say, and try to create a middle ground by still calling him a good teacher. And saying he was a great prophet. But if you call Jesus a good teacher, but don't believe that he was raised from the dead, you have to reckon with the fact that he taught things like, I'm going to die and be raised to life on the third day. (laughs) He also said crazy things like, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have eternal life. How can you call him a good teacher while not buying into those little things that he said? You wouldn't let your children be taught by a teacher who 80% of the time taught great content and, and really taught your children well. But the 20% was conspiracy theories. That's not a good teacher. We don't say Hitler was a great leader for his nation 80% of the time, except for that genocide stuff. Jesus can't just be a good teacher. Either he's an imposter or he is the Lord. The resurrection is what everything hinges upon. The resurrection vindicates him that he is everything that he said he was, that he did everything he said he would do, and it reveals him to be the Lord of life. But some refuse 
to believe in that possibility. And let me say, if you are in that boat where, you, where for you resurrection is a myth, and you are certain that Jesus could not have been raised from the dead, let me respectfully but sincerely suggest to you that you stop coming to church. In all seriousness, you shouldn't be coming to church if you refuse to believe that. If you're not open to the possibility that a man was raised from the dead, be honest with yourself, be honest with us. Have some intellectual integrity and don't come to church. We'll send you off with our blessing, with our love. You're welcome back anytime. But to be a Christian is to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It is foundational for everything that we believe. So much so that if this week we found out in the news that archaeologists in Israel had dug up and discovered a, a tomb or a grave or a box of bones that's labeled clearly Jesus of Nazareth, a great teacher and a prophet. His bones were discovered. It was proven indisputably, undeniably, that the resurrection didn't happen. If that happens this week, you should not come back to church next week. If that happens, I need to find a new career. Because everything that we're doing here is built upon a lie, if that's the case. And we shouldn't live our lives after a lie. The resurrection is so foundational to the Christian faith that if this historical event didn't actually happen, the whole thing falls apart like a house of cards. We confess this every single week that we believe that Jesus was raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures. And if this event is true, then all of it must be true. If it's not true, then none of it is. But we also need to acknowledge, I think especially for us who have grown up in church and, and been to Easter every single year of our lives, and that the idea that a man would rise from the dead, that that's the foundation of all of our faith, that's weird. It's undeniably weird that our faith is built up on the idea of a bodily, physical resurrection from the dead. This isn't Hollywood. We're not talking about zombies. We're not talking about the undead. But this is the Lord of life, overwhelming and overcoming death. This is the good news of the gospel, that death, our oldest enemy that plagues every single one of us, that has affected each of us so profoundly and deeply, and, and leads to sin and slavery and fear, death has been overcome. Death has been defeated. This is good news. This is our hope. If Jesus has been not been raised from the dead, we have no hope. But if the Lord of life has overcome death, that is good news. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And it's changed the world. And our faith cannot stand without it. Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 15, very clearly, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain, and our preaching is in vain. 
The fact is that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He died, and on the third day, he rose to life again. Jesus is revealed and vindicated as the Lord, and he has conquered death. Death for us has no more sting. Death for us has no more victory. We share in his victory because we who are in Christ, who we know the Lord of life, we do not have to fear death anymore. Even when tragedies happen in our community, we do not grieve as a people who are without hope, but we grieve knowing that Jesus conquered death, and that is our hope, and that can never fail. That is our good news. And it all hinges on this single event, that Jesus rose from the dead. If he did not rise from the dead, he is an imposter and a fraud, and everything that we believe is a lie. But if he did, then he is the Lord. And our call, our task, what it means to be as a, a Christian is to encounter him the risen Lord, to know him and to be found in him, the risen Lord. To encounter the resurrection is where our lives can be changed, just as it was for Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. If you look at our text in chapter 28, this resurrection text, we read about this encounter with Jesus, and we can know part of our response and what, what is our call. So after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of that Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, uh, the other Mary kind of gets short shrift in her recognition in our, in our text. But Mary and Mary went to the tomb after the Sabbath. They couldn't have prepared Jesus' body like they, they wanted to, as was the Jewish custom. They prepared the body with spices, perfumes, preservatives, but they couldn't do it with the Sabbath. They had to wait through Friday evening, all day Saturday until Sunday morning. Because unlike the chief priests and the Pharisees, they were keeping their Sabbath. They were keeping God's law and faithful to it. But they come and they do not find what they expect to find. An earthquake uh, happens underneath their feet. Just as Reverend Alex preached last week, at the death of Jesus, an earthquake announced to the world this earth-shattering event that happened with Jesus' death. And again, three days later, an earth-shattering event happens with his rising to life. They come to the tomb, and they see an angel in dazzling white clothes like lightning. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel spoke to them the good news. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. Everything has changed in that moment. And they go, they're told to go and tell the disciples the good news. They're told to be the first bearers of the gospel, the good news to the rest of the world. And on their way, they're going, and Jesus appears to them. Look at verse 9. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
such ordinary words for the most extraordinary encounter of their entire lives, Jesus met them and said, hey. <laughs> but we read that text, and if we've been paying attention throughout this whole series, we read the word behold, and that's our miracle word. That's the flashing lights of saying, look, pay attention. God is doing something here. The miraculous is happening right before your eyes. Behold, Jesus met them. Jesus himself appeared to them. Whereas before, they'd seen the empty tomb. They knew that something miraculous and beautiful and wonderful had happened. But it wasn't until they encountered Jesus for themselves that their lives were changed. There's a difference, a distinction, I think, for us to be drawn between an empty tomb faith and an encountering faith. An empty tomb faith is an intellectual acknowledgement that God is real, that God has done something, and that it's worth maybe my Sunday mornings and worth maybe an occasional monetary gift and worth calling myself a Christian. Empty tomb faith is a head faith. It's something that we can say, I believe in this. But it doesn't transform lives. An encountering faith is where we can meet Jesus personally. And our whole lives can encounter him. And just like Mary and Mary, what do they do? They fall down at his feet and worship him. An encountering faith is a transformative faith. It's the faith in which we fall down and worship him, surrendering our whole lives to him, giving him all that we are. And there our lives are transformed. There we are made new. The difference between an empty tomb faith and an encountering faith is like seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon versus going and being there at the Grand Canyon and being struck by that awe-inspiring view. Or even more so, the difference between knowing about love and being in love. That's the difference between these two types of faith. But our lives are meant to be transformed by an encounter with Jesus, the risen Lord. And if you're here and, and open to meeting Jesus, you feel like you've been living your whole life as if with an empty tomb faith, and you're open to meeting him, to encountering him, let me suggest and encourage to you that you go all in. That you go all in because if he is the risen Lord, if he has been vindicated and raised from the dead, then he is worthy of all of our lives, of all of our devotion, of everything that we have and everything that we are to be surrendered to him and our lives to be given to him in worship. Go all in. If there's a question for you of how do I do that, or what does that look like for me, I'm, I'm very happy to talk to you about that. I know Reverend Alex would be as well. But the resurrection changes everything. And if Jesus is raised from the dead, then he is here with us now. Because he sent his spirit to dwell among us, to dwell in our hearts and in our lives and to move among us. And he can be met here. 
He wants to meet you here. So my encouragement, my hope, and my prayer for us this morning is that we, wherever we are on, the, on this spectrum, that we are confronted by the reality of the resurrection. Confronted by it in all its weirdness, in all its miraculous power, in all its strangeness, that Jesus would meet us with the reality that he has been raised from the dead. If this is too weird for you, this is something you're not open to accepting and believing. Don't waste your time here. We love you, but don't come to church. If it's something you want to know for yourself more deeply, go all in. Surrender yourself to the risen Lord. And if you're not ready for either of those two extreme options, Let's pray that Jesus himself would come and meet you. Would come and reveal himself to you. And that his spirit might give you a, a nudge in the right direction. Because the resurrection, everything hinges on it. And it leaves us with a choice. It leaves us with divergent paths before us. And it's up to us to choose which one we will walk down. Throughout this whole summer series, a long series, we've been talking about the reveal of God and the miracle of Jesus. We've seen God reveal his heart, his nature, his purposes, his power, his love through these miracles. And here, the resurrection is the decisive and the ultimate reveal of who God is. Because he has been vindicated. He has been shown to be the Lord of life who has conquered death. If he has been raised from the dead, he cannot be an imposter or a fraud. He must be the Lord of all. The resurrection is the definitive proof of Christianity. And if it did happen, everything is true. All of it. And it's worth our whole lives. If it didn't happen, all of this is a lie. A choice is put before us. And God asks us and implores us to choose life. To choose Jesus. To come and encounter him as he reveals himself to us as the risen Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as you put this path before us, um, we want to walk faithfully in your sight. We want to walk by your spirit, and we pray that your spirit would guide us along the path that you have for us today. We pray that as we come to know you more and more, as we encounter you in all that you are, that you would change us, and that you would raise us to new life and make us a new creation. We pray this through the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.